This week, we're going to be looking in Acts 6. We're picking up right where we left off last week, where the apostles, they were preaching, they were seeing incredible miracles happen, people were being healed, people were coming to the faith, and, and the religious system, the religious institute didn't like what was happening, and so they beat them. They beat them and then they charge them, don't ever speak about the name of Jesus again. And right after they leave, they said, listen, we can't follow what men tells us if it goes against what God tells us. So thank you for telling me what you did tell me, but we're going to go preach. And so that's exactly what they did. They went, it says, to, from house to house and even the synagogues, preaching what Jesus had done. And what he had done is what we started this series off. He ascended into heaven and then the Holy Spirit descended. So he went to the cross he died for our sins, then he rose from the dead, conquered death, went into heaven so that the Spirit could come upon all who believe. And so now we're looking in chapter 6, verse 1, uh, and we're going to read just a few verses today, but we're breaking it up into portions uh, to really learn what is happening here. It's, it's an interesting passage because it's really the, the first conflict in the church. And so let's read uh, just chapter 6, verse 1. It says... Left off, with, oh, sorry. Now in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. So we're in Acts chapter 6, verse 1. We can't, we usually have the words on screen, but today our app, iPad is, uh, is not with it. It's taking a break this week. Uh, so if you want to read along, you can. So I'm going to start. It says, now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution couple of things here. This, is, this, this first verse just sets the tone for the rest of the passage we're going to read. Um, and there's some things that I want to set context for the rest of the message today. The first thing it says, it says, now in these days. And what it's referring to when it says that is, in the midst of all the amazing things that we've been reading about, people getting healed, literally what, how, how much people are getting healed is they were, they were laying sick people in the path of the apostles so that when their shadow hit them, they would be healed. Really amazing things. Uh, people were speaking in languages that they never learned before. Uh, the, the, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to faith on a regular basis. And so when it says, now in these days, what it's referring to is in the midst of all the great things that we've been reading about and hearing about, that even these people who were beaten for what they believe still celebrated their Beating because they got to have joy in the fact that Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice, so they get to participate in that. And so, when we're, what we're about to read, I want us to remember that in the midst of all the amazing things that is happening, this is what happens. And then it also says the disciples. So this is the first time in Acts that the believers as a whole are referred to as the disciples. Uh, really, up until now, the only people that have been the disciples are the people that were with the um, that were with Jesus from the beginning. That had been in part of his ministry. You were kind of like the 120 or the few hundred that he showed himself to uh, before he ascended into heaven. So, right now, this is the first time that we're actually seeing all of the people who believe are called are being called disciples, and that's important. Uh, because our three values here as a church are community, discipleship, and creativity. And so we get to see what that word means today in scripture. What does it mean to be a disciple, to be a believer, part of the body of Christ? And so what we have in the context of the disciples, the church growing in those days, 
Something happens that if you have been in church long enough, you are very familiar with. It's this awesome word called complaining. <laughs> right? In the midst of the amazing foundation of the church and how the church is growing, these amazing things happening, it doesn't matter. You are not an official church until there's some complaining going on. Right? And it's really easy to think about, oh, man, this is the original church. Those are the 12 apostles. Look at all the great things that they did. Everything was perfect. And what a lot of times we do is we look back at the early church and we idolize them. We think like, man, they had it all together. They were amazing. If we could just be like them. And those are great thoughts. We want to be more like them. But it's easy to put them on a pedestal and think that, they, that there was nothing that went wrong. And today we're going to debunk that. There was something that was actually pretty important that was going wrong. And so we see our first complaint, right? So to me, this is like the official church now. We're getting into the nitty-gritty. And this is the issue. They, we had talked about how people were giving their resources. They were selling their homes, their land, bringing their money, bringing it to the apostles' feet, and they were distributing that. Uh, but what happened was... The Hebrew widows were getting the daily distribution, they were getting the bread, they were getting the food, but the Hellenists, or the, the Greek widows, were not. And that's a big distinction, uh, because what happens is the, the Hebrew widows, they, these were the, the people that we can assume were born there, they were the Hebrew-speaking ones, so they were more culturalized by the disciples, uh, the original apostles, the original church, they uh, most likely were Aramaic-speaking Christians um, or Jewish people who uh, these Hebrew widows would have spoke the same language of them, uh, would have had more of the similar culture as them. And so when the original church was forming, what happened was we, we see this favoritism being shown, where they were giving the widows that are a part of their culture and a part of their ethnicity preference treatment that was better than others. And the Hellenists, or the Greek widows, were being neglected. And a lot of scholars believe that this was a willful neglect, which is really interesting. Uh, it's, it's different to be accidentally forgotten about, and then there's a difference between willfully being forgotten about. And we need to understand that the early church was not perfect. We already read about the greed that started to creep in in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira. And when we read about that situation a couple of weeks ago, we read about how God dealt with that situation. Like there, if, if you want to read it, you can read a couple of chapters back, or I believe one chapter back. God dealt with that. But now this situation, where we see that there's discrimination actually going on, that there's ethnocentrism going on. Right? This may sound familiar to you because a lot of times we, we not only say, man, the early church was great, but we think back to the good old days. And, you know, things were better back then. Like, people just were more moral back then. You know, they were great back then. It's like, actually, it's not really the truth. Uh, the things that the early church had to deal with were pretty insane, like there are, Paul has to actually tell people in some of the letters that he writes to the church, like, hey guys, it's not cool to sleep with 
your father's wife. I just want to throw that out there to you because I know that there's somebody doing that in your congregation and you guys are cool with it. And so I just want to let you know that that's not actually the case, that when Paul talks about all the things, like he has to reference like, hey, orgies aren't cool. Right, Because these, are, these were part of the culture. They were normal. When you went to the temple to worship, there were temples where you worshipped, and worship meant meeting with a prostitute. And so these things started to seep into the culture of the church. And something that was very prevalent back then was discrimination and ethnocentrism, that if you were not part of our culture, then we did not love you, we did not treat you the same way, and you were of second class. And so to think that these things don't come into the church is wrong. But what happens, what's different between the church and the world is how we deal with these situations. We don't brush it under the rug. We don't say it's okay. That we actually look at discrimination. We look at ethnocentrism and we say that is sin. That is something that God does not condone. That is something that has no place in the church. That is something that we do not look upon and we smile at it. We say this is something that needs to change. And so we want to look at how did the apostles handle this? This complaint arises. There's discrimination going on. What did the apostles do? And so we're going to read on starting in verse 2. To verse 4, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching, the word, preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute or reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So this is great. This is, uh, this is delegation at its finest. The apostles call everybody together and they say, hey guys, figure it out. Here's the guidelines, but you're going to figure this out. Because this can't go on anymore, but we're going to lay the guidelines to figure it out and we're going to leave it up to you. And here's what they said. They said, you're going to pick seven guys. And these seven men, they have to have these three qualifications. They have to have a PhD in ministry. They have to have a really good job, and they have to make sure that they are super handsome. No. <laughs> what did the apostles say? They said, these men have to have a good reputation, they have to be full of the spirit, and they have to be full of wisdom. You know what? So much in the church, we look at talent as the number one qualifier for being in ministry. And we don't ever look at the one thing that qualifies us in the eyes of God, which is character. Right? How many times have I, I, I've heard this, like, I, Justin, I am not capable of preaching to somebody. I am not capable of serving. I am not capable of being part of what you are doing. And it's, it's why? Well, I never went to school for this or, you know, like... You know, I'm just not at the talent level at this other person. Look how good that they do it, and I just wouldn't be where they are. And you know what? This is, when we look at outside, what, what happens? If you work in a company, you've probably seen this happen, where there is somebody that everybody hates. 
Like they are, they may be the worst boss and everybody knows it, or they are just rude to everybody. They are constantly lying. They are, they are constantly just being divisive, bringing division. And you ask yourself, why is it that this person still has a job? Why is it that this person still is in this position? And I've asked myself about people in the church before. Why is it that this person is still on stage or serving in this capacity or doing that? And really, it boils down to this, is culturally, we look at talent before we look at uh, character. And we want degrees and talent to qualify people for the kingdom of God. But God yet looks to those whose lives witness the truth of his gospel as qualifications. We see this in the very people that Jesus chose to be his 12 apostles. These were people from Galilee where literally when they went and started preaching with authority, people were asking themselves like, hey, they never went to school for this. They're from Galilee. Like nothing good comes from Galilee, literally, as the lion said. They, they didn't learn. They're not learned people. How is it that they're getting up and speaking with such authority? There's a, a, an incredible leader that I've learned a lot from, Bill Hybels, and he, would, he said these, he said when you're looking at people to join your team, you always look at the three C's. He said you look at character, competency, and chemistry. And the thing I loved about that is character was the number one quality that you look at before anything else. Like, yes, talent does matter. Because you don't, wanna, you don't want me singing on Sunday, basically. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. You know, everybody in the front row has heard me sing. Maybe in, like, the second row you've heard me sing. I, I apologize. Um, but the first thing you want to look for, the first thing that we see God looking for, the first thing that we see the apostles looking for is character first. Do these guys have a good reputation Right? And I hope this convicts some of us because we think, man, I can burn bridges, I can do me, I can say what I want to anybody, I can cuss you out, give you the finger, cut you off, preaching to myself with that one, I could do whatever I want, it doesn't matter as long as I'm good with God. But yet God looks at you and he says, I judge your character by how other people view you. Go apologize to somebody after church. Are they full of spirit, of the spirit, and are they full of wisdom? And what's great about this is it shows how the church is supposed to work together. Right? We know what are qualifications. How do we get people to be part of the church and help in the church? But then how does the church actually work together? And we see a, a small outline here where the apostles say, look, we're supposed to be preaching and praying. And we need other people that can serve the tables. Because if we do both of these things, we're not going to be able to do the preaching and praying if we're also serving tables. And you may think, like, wow, those guys really thought highly of themselves. Like, they just want to do, you know, those things. And they think lowly of serving tables. But that's actually not the case. I want to read Romans Chapter 12, verse 4 to 8. And this is Paul describing how the church is supposed to work. 
Paul says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we still all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with faith. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If, you, if it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, do it with zeal or passion. And if you have a gift of doing acts of mercy, do it gladly. See, what happens in the church is that there is no one superstar. God did not look at one person and say, I will give you everything. Right? We have our Savior already. His name is Jesus. And so many churches, we're built around superstars. This person can do everything. But how it's supposed to work out is how we started being fleshed out here by the apostles that actually our ministry is to preach and to teach. That's the gift God has given us. Now there's other people that their ministry is supposed to be serving. And so we need to find those people. And here are the qualifications for serving in this area. They start that thought and then Paul begins to flesh that out as the church begins to grow. That actually there's lots of different people in this body. Right? When we look at the body, we have hands, we have feet, we have a nose, we have ears. And we know if one of those things is removed that there is a severe, there's, we don't function the same. Like if I can't smell, my life would not be the same. If I can't hear, my life would not be the same. If I don't have my left arm, my life would not be the same. And it's the same thing with the church. God has given each and every one of us different capacity to serve in different ways. And it's not that we look at the, the people and it's like, oh man, you know, being up on stage is really cool. It's actually, it's, it's not that cool. It's a lot of work that comes into it. But this is not the be-all, end-all of church. Like, if we didn't have guys to come up and set up the speakers and the subs and put the monitors together and get the screen on and have people set up the, the food outside, greet during the week, people open up their home for dinner parties, a drum player, a guitar player, a singer. If we didn't have each and every one of those pieces, this would not be happening today. As much as you may absolutely love coming to hear me preach, guess what? You would not come if nothing was set up. It's like, yeah, I'm not that good. Because it takes a body to get things done. And what happens is God lays significance on each and every one of our gifts. And a lot of times in a sinful way, we put deeper significance on other things. When God is saying each and every one of those things is significant. Because the body would not function the way it should if everybody did not walk in how God has called them to walk. And the church is supposed to work together to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us. That mission was this, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in 
When we look at the different gifts, when we look at the different talents, some people are really good at organizing, some people are good at leading, some people are really good at welcoming, some people are really good at cooking, at singing, at band playing, whatever it is, all of those things come together so that we can be one body of one mind and be on one mission. And that is to see all nations discipled. And even this church plays a part in the larger body. Because not one church is going to reach the entire world. So we are a body of churches. And God has given us this neighborhood and this time to reach this people. And so many times even churches... They say, like, no, we're the be-all, end-all here in this city or in this neighborhood. And it's like, actually, you're not. And actually, we're not. We are one church that's part of the greater church that God is using to accomplish his mission. And we need to keep that in perspective. Because human nature is for us to go to that superstar model. To go to that cocky model of, man, that person is great or I am great. Let's be, let's be honest. Let's be real for a second. Like, oh, I can take care of this. I can do this. I can do that. I can do that. But really, God is like, actually, I, I gave you this talent. So why don't you, let's use that. And there's, there's somebody else. There's room for them, too, because I gave them this talent. They're, you know, this church is supposed to reach this people. And this church, you're reaching this people, and that's good. And that's how I'm working together. And so the disciples, what they do is they do it as they were told. Let's read on. It says, and when they were all, and what they said pleased the entire gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Some interesting things happen. All of the people, all of the men that they chose were all Greek. That's really interesting in my opinion. They all have Greek names. And so what's great is, what's interesting about this is it was the Greek-speaking widows that were the ones who felt marginalized at that moment, who were the ones who are being neglected. And so they picked men of that community that can minister to them. They picked men who fit the guidelines but also would have a deeper sense of compassion for them. And it's also interesting, these certain people that are chosen... Because like I said, it's so easy to think like, oh, these people were behind the scenes. Like, yeah, they had great character and we, these are the first you know, seven people that are really chosen to serve in some kind of leadership capacity outside the apostles, but probably never hear about them again. Actually, if we look at who is chosen, it's not the apostles were the ones that were doing the important work, right? The preaching and the praying. And these other seven guys, they were doing the least important work, and they were just serving tables. What happens is that as soon as these seven men are chosen, 
and they are prayed for and they begin to serve, we see them exploding and being used by God to accomplish the mission of the church. For example, Stephen, eventually, he becomes the first martyr in the next chapter. This is the guy who begins to preach the gospel. And previously, when the apostles preached the gospel, the worst that they got was beaten. But Stephen, or Stephen, begins to preach the gospel later on, and we see that he is killed. And that the moment before he dies, he looks up into heaven and he sees an open heaven. And he glorifies God in that moment before his last breath on earth. Stephen goes down in church history as one of the most infamous people historically because he was the first to give up his life for the message of Christ. Yet when you read this, it, it may be easy to say like, oh, these are just the table servers. Let's move on to the important stuff. But again, this is not how the kingdom of God works. We all work together for that same mission. We all work together for that same goal. And then we look at Philip. Philip was the guy who helped spread the gospel to Samaria. What I love about that is the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people, and the Jewish people were hated by the Samaritans. These were two cultures that did not talk to one another. And so Philip's first job was he was helping bridge the gap for these Greek-speaking widows. But then later on in Acts, we see him going to a people that he should have hated and never talked to before, but reaching them with this message of Jesus Christ. He is also the one that brought to Christ an Ethiopian who is riding along reading scripture. And Philip was like, hey, what you reading there? And he was reading Isaiah, a passage in Isaiah that was speaking of Jesus. And he led him to Christ and baptized him in that moment. No matter what we do, where we are, God can use us. And it's like, man, if I'm in the kids' ministry or I'm helping usher or I'm at the connect table, I, I, I may miss out on what God is doing. And it's like, actually, no. We see the first people outside the apostles that really began to accomplish the mission of God were the first people who threw down and started serving. See, the, when the gospel affects our life and we say, God, I'm going to give you all, we've, we've talked about how all ha has meant resources. We've talked about has all, all has meant our comfort levels. And now we talk about all actually means our time as well. See, the, the gospel is not something that gives me some fuzzy goosebumps on Sunday and I go home, ooh, yay. And then like, wow, you know, Jesus died so I can feel good for an hour every week. Mm-mm. He died because there was a people that were not reconciled to him. 
that his creation, the ones that he loved, the ones that he made in his own image have turned away and there was a gap between heaven and earth. And he said, I must bridge that gap. And so he sends his very son to earth as man in the most despicable of places to be born in a manger to die a gruesome death, but yet to conquer that death with a message of hope and salvation for all who believe. Because God was serious about this mission. God is serious when he looks at the earth and he says, I'm making a way. I'm going to make sure that there's nothing that impedes people from being able to know me. I'm going to make sure. In the Old Testament, you saw that it it was only the Israelites who were God's chosen people because everybody else on the earth had denied him in a time when Abraham didn't. And so he made a covenant with that man and he said, I will be your God and the people that come from your loins are going to be my people because everyone else has forsaken me. Yet even the Israelites were back and forth, back and forth. But the ultimate plan wasn't just for one nation, one people to know him. The plan was for Jesus to come so that all people and all nations can know him. And that mission will not be accomplished if there's only a few people that are working towards it happening. The mission can only be accomplished. What Jesus did on the cross, his resurrection can only truly help us reach that goal if everybody says I'm in. What Jesus did, he accomplished, he finished the work. And then he said, now it's your turn. Go, preach, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so when we hear that message and we say, God, I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you, God, that even though I have sinned, even though I have done great wrong, even though I can never repay you, Father, yet while I was still a sinner, you came and you died for me. I thank you for what you've done for me. But it does not end there. That message changes our hearts and we see that he was the ultimate servant. He was the one who gave ultimately of his time and who he was and his talent. And we look at his example and we say, God, how can I serve? How can I be a part of your body? How can I be a part of this mission that you have given the church to go unto all nations discipling them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do I help making sure that the word gets out there? I hope we are challenged this morning that it's not enough to just come to a Sunday experience. I hope this entire series has challenged us. That the gospel is more than something that makes us feel good on Sunday, but it's something that requires a lifetime of sacrifice. 
It's something when it impacts and really has a hold of our hearts, then it is now a B.C. and an A.D. in our lives. Not God just didn't split time, but he also splits our lives to when it was before Christ and when it was after. Because there's such a deep resonating change that happens that I can never be the same again. And every day for the rest of my life, I must give myself to him. It's easy to begin to fall into routine. It's easy to get back into your comfort zones. But I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts us daily. Father, more people need to know about what you've done for me. Others need to hear of the message of this good news. I cannot be silent. I will not sit still. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. A a prayer for us today could be, God, I don't want to be a Sunday Christian. God, I don't want to be somebody that raises my hands on Sunday and comes to church every week, but as soon as I leave this place, I forget about what you've done. I don't want to come here just on Sundays and on Monday. I forget about my coworkers and their desperate need for you. On Tuesday, I forget about my family. I forget about my kids. No, God, I want to be somebody that my life resonates the message of you. And any way I can be a part of that body, of that mission going forward, Father, sign me up. I want to be a part of what you've called me to be. This verse 7 concludes this time. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, the, the, the difference here is that we've had addition in every single part of Acts until this very moment. It's the first time we see multiplication. When people begin to serve and they allow God to use them, it opens up an avenue for the church to begin not to only to add to its numbers, but to begin to multiply in number. Even the priests began to come to faith because they saw people giving of themselves to this mission. When people see you give your life to something, they know that there's something different about what you're living for. The passage starts and ends with the church growing. But the difference is how much. And in that, we see it's when people begin to lay down their life and their time. I'm going to ask you today, become part of the mission. We don't have a mission statement because Jesus gave us one already. That's our mission statement. Become part of that. Ask, how can I serve? How can I be a part of this team? How can I make this message go forward? 
And don't even leave it to just here on a Sunday, but ask yourself, how can I be a part of it as a lifestyle in my job, in my family, in my neighborhood, for on my block? How can I be a part of this mission going forward? How do I become somebody who goes from wanting all the time to myself to giving of my time to others? Pray with me. Father, convict our hearts this morning. Father, I'm so used to the world revolving around me. I spend so much of my life thinking about my needs and what I wanted and what would make me happy. But God, I pray that you would reverse, continue to spiral that out of my heart, God. And for us here today, Lord, that you would take away the centeredness of our hearts around ourselves and that we would begin to focus and center our life around you and the mission that you have given us. Holy Spirit, come and convict our hearts. we would worship, pray, and believe in a gospel that affects more than our Sunday morning, but affects our entire life. I pray that we would remember the acts of the apostles. Remember what your gospel did to that, their lives and to the church. And that we would, with faith, with faith, that we would pray and seek for you to do the same in us. Father, because you have not changed between then and now. You are still working. You are still powerful. And we honor and we worship you. Why don't we stand? We're going to have some leaders over here that can pray with you. Anytime during worship, if you want prayer, we'll be here to pray.